0: Ich Radio
1: Welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Element in Palomar, New Jersey, and I'm Palomar, New Jersey, and I'm from Joining me as always, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter, Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, Anche Chesed in New York. It's great to see you this it's weekend. Parshot Bo, Parshot Bo. Can we think of a much more complicated, interesting story-laden? Consequential parsha than parsha Bo.
2: Not this week,
1: because <laughs> next week there'll be another consequential parsha. Well, we have to bring everyone up to up to date. Parsha Bo starts picks up where last week Ba'ira left off. We were at plague seven last week, and now we are doing plagues eight, nine, and ten, Arbe, Choshech, and the ultimate Makar So let's try and get into the, the, the try and set up the, the frame here, set up the picture of both the Israelites, the Egyptians, and Pharaoh. I, I want to turn to you, Barry. I want to ask you, what is going through Pharaoh's mind? What is going through the Egyptians' mind? And what is going through the Israelites' mind? And thinking in, in terms of the anticipation here and in terms of both the plagues and, and what's gonna happen soon? You
2: know, it, it's such a wonderful question because we, we are literary people and we read the book and everything happens very quickly in a book, right? You turn the page and things happen, but we have to try and think about how this is actually unfolding in real time. And there has to be some kind of gap between the plagues, something that allows them to uh, leaven as it were and to marinate in order to have their effect. So last week, we end with the, uh, the hail, which I assume is a springtime plague. And the locust, I assume, is you know a few weeks later, at least. But the locusts come to finish the job that the hail began. The hail was one of these history-making events the language is that nothing like this has happened since time immemorial, and it destroyed the land. But it couldn't have destroyed all of it because the locals are going to come and clear the rest of it away, such that the magicians are going to say to Pharaoh in their language, Gnug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's our language.
1: I want to I, I wanna focus, <laughs> in. focus in on one pasuk, okay, because I think it really it speaks to something. So et Moshe v'yataron al Paro. Moses and Aaron go back to Paro. Vayomer alechem. Vayomer alechem. Paro says to them, "Lichu if do it at Mi lo alechem v'mi ha'ochim." Who's going? And the answer, Moshe's answer, "Bina Reinu, uvis kinenu lelech bevanenu uvnim notenu b'tzonenu v'karenu nelech." Any thoughts on on that verse? What do you what do you? Yeah, it
2: takes a village to. Uh to raise an exodus. You need you need an entire community so the, 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 the pretense of of, ex, of the exodus is to
1: go out and worship in the in, in the in the desert and and Pharaoh is saying just take the men, take the men and worship and Moshe is saying and this is so remarkable. he's saying we're going we're going as a people man. we're going young and old men and women we're taking our sheep, our cattle, Everything—it's a totality. We we are a, a complete entity. This is not this is not about being, you know, a, a special delegation. This is about everybody and the people going. And Pharaoh says, "No, let the let the men go." And so the plague then comes. That's our bet—the the
0: locusts. Okay, going to Choshech. Go comment. It's extremely rich, though. I love what you said about the the whole nation, and because this parsha, and we'll talk about this, does. Culminate in the family celebration that is the covenantal ritual in Judaism, and everybody has to participate. Um, but it, it is interesting that, that you know what you just said reminds me of the fact that Moshe has been telling Pharaoh a deception this whole time, which is, we're going to go to w- worship three days in the desert. Not we're leaving and we're never coming back. <laughs> so Pharaoh's response of Pharaoh's response of well, can a delegation go? is actually totally reasonable in its own terms, especially since he's got to think, you know, and, and by the way, Moses also in the, uh, when Moses, he's got to think, and this will be reinforced again in Moses's later comment that this is a ritual for communal leaders. Cause you know, Moshe begins in 12 when he's speaking about the Pesach ritual, he gathers up the leaders and says, okay, everybody take, take a lamb. So probably in ancient times, you know, ri- Leaders produced, you know, participated in ritual, but not everybody now. But Moshe is going to say, in a way that should be moving to a Jew, this is for us all. That, that is, the, I think, one of the most salient
1: observations, that, that the Torah itself democratizes the religious experience. There right. are, of course, we'll see this in Vayikra, you know, impulses within the, the establishment, the administration, leaders, ecclesiastical authority to take over. But this belongs to the people. This
2: experience belongs to the people. Apparently. And as a result, this sacrifice is a home-based sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. In later Israelite religion, this could become a problem when the sacrifice has to be transferred to the temple. Yeah. But the home is for yeah. everyone.
1: So hold right. that for a second. We're going to go through
2: Choshech. Comment, Jeremy.
1: Ulechol b'nei Yisrael or How many you, sermons you, have
0: you given? got to love it. The, the the Egyptians, we've talked to last week about, uh, this might have actually been in our pre, pre-show pre conversation. Uh, Elliot, you referenced the the embalming practices and the hardness of the heart. Pharaoh's heart is heavy, which, which indicates a sense of moral guilt, right? Yes. And the Egyptians have a whole country, have a whole culture, have a whole empire full of, of darkness, it's so dark you could touch it, nobody could stand up, and the Israelites have light in all their dwellings, you know, the the oppressors have the darkness and the depth, the oppressed have the light.
1: It's it's such a remarkable thing, and it's also... This is the first Orla Goyim. Indeed, there's these lovely comments, you know, they, they, when 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 we're together
0: there's light uh, among us okay Blast. moshe but, moshe by the way at the very beginning you know we got we got the question of moshe's name like pharaoh the baby's put in kept for 3 months hidden for 3 months you know they, they put in the put in the basket and then pharaoh's daughter finds him and then she names him moshe actually to tell you the truth what the bible says is that the the sister takes him back to weaning when he grows bigger Approximately two years, perhaps. Then it goes back to Pharaoh's daughter. And then she names him Moshe. Kimi Hamayim too for I drew him out of the water. Well, what did they call him for the previous things? You know, and it says, what, what, did they, what did they call him? Hey, you, for the first, you know, two, two and a half years of his life. So the Torah says when Moshe is born, vatero toki tovhu, the mother sees that he's good. So the Talmud says, tov, first of all, she might have called him tov, or she might have called him Tuvia. But that, the, but they called him Tov because the whole house was filled with light when he yeah. was born. Yeah. So you have that sense that, like creation, God looks at the light, Bayarta or Kitov. So you see the light, you see the goodness, you see the possibility, and that is replicated a little bit in this sense of, um, in the sense of the plague of darkness for the the oppressors and light for the Israelites. All right.
1: So we now need to talk about Makat Pechorot. It's introduced chapter eleven. Verse 1, avi God says to Moses, I'm going to bring one more. It's going to be devastating. And before, before they send you out, everybody, the, tell the people to get clothing from, from the Egyptians. We're not going to dwell on that necessarily. But uh, he says, in the middle of the night, ani I'm going out to Egypt. And all the firstborn are going to die, etc. And this is makat it God, God does God does that.
0: This is what it says. <laughs> I I no angel. I am no saraf. There you go. We're going Wait, God
1: God self is doing this. Absolutely. And what you know? What's the purpose? What you know? Why 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 the firstborn? Well, we could talk about that, but but. Obviously, it's, it's, it's going to be a devastating uh, uh, set of events. And then the Torah takes us into, into the ritual. Uh, this is one of the most fascinating passages, I think, in the book of Shemot, early Torah. Rashi says that the Torah should have started here because it's the first mitzvah given to B'nai Yisrael. So we got to describe this. What's going on in this passage, chapter twelve? What is
0: going on, Jeremy? So I, I love the fact that uh, that up at this point, I mean, there's a bit of an exaggeration or an oversimplification, but but maybe only a bit, is that we've now been telling the prehistory, and now we become a religion. Now we become a people with a set of sacred practices that are trying to inscribe meaning and goodness and holiness and spiritual and ethical aspirations on our people. You get the first commandment is how to count time, okay? You have been a slave. You have been Egyptian Egyptian, uh, uh, culture. You have been bound and constrained by that. You now are going to count your own calendar by this month of liberation, which is itself very interesting. And then Moshe tells them, Moshe gives them instructions about how it is that they will celebrate this, this covenantal uh, meal. Every, every household takes a lamb, and, uh, and if you have a small house, you share with your next door neighbors, your nearest neighbors. And um, then you're going to slaughter it on the afternoon. We'll, we'll, we'll let Elliot we'll let uh, Darshan out a whole, a whole rich version of the story in a minute. But you, you slaughter it in the afternoon because at sunset or in the dark, you're going to have a covenantal meal with the blood smeared on the doorpost as you get ready to exit Egypt.
1: Barry, you want to just weigh in on this, on this passage here?
2: it remains to me a perplexing passage and somewhat in the wrong place because the story now moves back five days right the last plague is going to happen the the night of the 14th and all of a sudden we're now at the 10th and we're making preparations so that the story is unfolding on a lot of different levels we have the, the chronological time as day by day unfolds, but we also have a retrospective and a look to the future as well, because the chapter is going to conclude with the halachot for Pesach for the Pesach that we're going to uh, observe once we get to uh, the land of Israel, which, as far as we know right now, is on the horizon. It's not until the Midbar that we're going to realize that we're going to be stuck for 40 years before we get to celebrate Pesach, In the land of Israel itself. And, you know, I struck when we were talking earlier, Elliot, by the importance that you attach to the covenantal meal, that this really is the driving force here of Pesach. It's the only home sacrifice that we have in the Bible. And it also prefigures the Seder, which I mentioned somewhat jokingly, you know, for many Jews, the key to the Seder is the meal. They rush through the Magi part of the Haggadah, which is a story, which for the rabbis is the heart of the Seder, to get to the meal. And maybe they really understand the the essence of Pesach, which is this covenantal meal, this breaking of bread or crackers as it is, and sharing our our bounty in the presence of God. It reminds me of the way that uh, Borach Levine described the Zevach Shlamim as a sacred... uh, meal of greeting and that's what Pesach is here in chapter 12 and what it will become once the rabbis get a hold of it after the destruction of the temple as well
1: so that there are so many critical elements to this I think the key element is is bayit selah bayit that the, the the family is to sit down and eat and this is telling us that the the experience of freedom and the covenantal association with that meal is mediated through family such a it's such a remarkable message of Judaism that Judaism transmits its covenantal idea through the family. Our, our good friend, Eliezer Diamond, our teacher friend, Eliezer and colleague from Ramah, he made a remarkable point in one of his talks. He said, what slavery does is, is it shatters the family unit. And it's not an accident that the, the meal that is to be restorative of people and give the people freedom is centered around the family. I think it's a profound, profound idea that the Passover meal is a meal that is restorative to the family. And if you just want to take a second to, on the experience of, of African-American slavery in this country, what was devastating about it as slavery is in every you know, circumstance is the shattering of the family unit. That, that's just, it's crushed. And so what Israel is doing here through the Korban Pesach is reconstituting its its family centrality. Second, the, the 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 head of the household becomes a kind of kohen, because the head of the household is slaughtering the animal. So when it says, Yeah, every single family gets its own kohen. And so... In, in a sense, what you have wrapped into the whole Korban Pesach experience is the formation of Judaism. Barry. Yeah.
2: What I wanted to add is that this covenantal meal also requires a fixed time, that the meal has a beginning and it has an end. There aren't going to be any leftovers from this meal by design. Whatever is left over has to be destroyed. And I think it makes an important lesson about, teaches an important lesson about freedom, that freedom isn't leisure time. The time when you can do whatever you want, it's a, freedom is really being able to fix time. Just like the calendar was fixed with the establishment of what we call Nissan in the first month, the meal is fixed because it's bounded. And that is critical to our understanding of what freedom really is, which ultimately is submission to the true master, rather than the human master that, in our story here, we call Paro, Pharaoh.
1: Okay, so take us into the the map out this evening. We
0: we have a, a debate about this, but go but ahead. You, you, you should map it out. But I just wanted to say because because you've got a very full you've got a very full rendering. But I hey, think plate. A full plate. To, that Barry's a very full plate, but. Barry said, uh, "You know, earlier about the the sort of folk seder, and and you know, there's there's four questions, but really there's five questions on Pesach. and The, and the most important fifth question, of course, is
2: when do we eat?
0: When do we eat? And and <laughs> <laughs> and you know, th- those of us who love Jewish texts, and love talking about the you know, the to see if the Triumph can get frustrated. But I do think that what Barry said is is right on." That it is about eating, and in fact, about the symbolic food. What does Rabban Gamliel say is that Koshalo Amar, who did, anyone who didn't talk about three foods, lo de didn't, didn't fulfill the obligation. That is, Pesach maror. you have to give a little midrash about the three foods. And I want to just point out that in the course of uh, Shmot 12, I actually think that this is sharp in the Bible, that all the way back, it is talking about symbolic foods. So in verse 20, uh, 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 in verse 26, I think here, I can't see with my eyes, they're not so good. Uh, when your children will ask you, what is this worship? In, in our Haggadah, that's in the mouth of the Rasha, but it's really the most important question. What is the meaning of this worship? you will say, this is the offering. And so all the way back in the Bible, even in Exodus chapter 12, the very first time we hear about this, the description is that the food is symbolic of a story, which I just think is just super profound, again, in the turn from stories about the ancestors to a description of religion as we live it. Okay, so now we've got to map out the evening. And I'm going to propose the following.
1: So the Torah tells us exactly how this evening is going to happen. And it tells us, I think, what happened. How it's supposed to happen is that the head of household, to gather their household, they are supposed to be inside. They are supposed to slaughter the animal at dusk. The animal gets slaughtered. It gets dressed. That is, you know, and roasted. It's roasted whole. Okay. Now, I am not an expert in the roasting of animals, but... my Malamit's a vegan. In case I am I a vegan, work. okay. But in my pre-vegan days, and, and from my just perusal of this this topic, it takes an awful lot of time to to, to roast an animal. It takes two and a half hours to roast a, a, a sizable turkey. It takes, you know, a good couple of hours to roast a brisket. An eight to 10 pound brisket takes... At least a couple of hours. You know, you're talking about a 60, 70 pound, maybe even larger, you know, roasted uh, lamb here. It's got to take a lot of time. We were, I showed you a video before of this woman in Philadelphia who makes barbacoa, which is a food that I'll never eat, but looks amazing. It roasts all night. It's, it's, it, it just cooks and cooks. And, and when you eat it, it's just amazing. So they're supposed to eat a meal and I predict that the meal would have been ready by around midnight, okay? So they slaughter it at dusk, it's ready to be eaten at midnight. It's supposed to be eaten a matzot marrain with bitter herbs and with with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and then what happens? I draw your attention to chapter 12, verse 29. It's in the middle of the night. So I'm reckoning that Midnight is midnight. It's at the moment that they are about to eat the meal, to get ready to go, to leave on a full stomach, because they're going on the journey. They've been told that. They know that there's a terrible havoc going on in Egypt. The, it is happening. They stayed inside. They've protected their household by the, the blood on the doorpost. It's in the middle of the night, and Paro summons Moshe and Aaron and says, get out of here. Kumu suu mitoch ami. Get out of my nation. Gamatem, Gamba Israel, you and the people of Israel. Get out of here. Go and, and worship. And so they go. And they don't eat the matzah till the next morning. Okay? So they leave. I believe that they left with the lamb still roasting. And they they went, and this is the miracle, the miracle of the Exodus is that the entire Jewish people went a night without food.
2: (laughs) And And that was the last time that ever happened. (laughs) But, Elliot, I think that the second time you've told us this story was even more powerful than the first. And I think what speaks to me now is that when I teach about matzah in high school, I like to refer to matzah as interrupted bread. The matzah is something where we, as human beings, as Jews, we have to interrupt a natural process in order to make matzah. Matzah cannot happen naturally. And the way you describe the meal, then, is that the meal, this night in Egypt, is an interrupted meal. And so the matzah that we eat is a beautiful symbol of that interrupted meal and gives a lot of punch, I think, to the way that you told this story. So, so the... The people of Israel starts
1: with a, with a disruption, a, a tremendous disruption from, from slavery to freedom. And also, I think the fact that they're leaving on an empty stomach rather than a full stomach enhances the rebirth of the people. That is to say that, that the next day, the matzah is the first food that they eat. And matzah, you know, as symbolic as it is, takes on even more symbolism because it's the first food eaten in freedom.
2: Right. But here what's interesting is that the way you describe it now suggests that there's a, a lot of yearning that goes into this leaving of Egypt. Yeah. But when we track the path of our ancestors through the wilderness, they often complain about the lack of food and they want to go back to Egypt. They don't want to go back to this last night in Egypt when they had their, their own roast lamb they wanna go back to to slavery. So there's a tenuous connection between food and freedom that we have to be vigilant about keeping.
1: You're, you're right. It's a, that's a profoundness. They, they, they're longing for all the foods that they, 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 they imagined that they had, the kind of sense of satiation and satisfaction. But, but here, the remarkable moment is that they, 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 they
0: leave as one, you know one of the things that, that is, is to me an interesting ramification of what you've just said um, is that the Jewish people's experience then of religion is begins more with unfulfilled commandments than with fulfilled commandments because they were commanded to eat this meal in celebration Perfect, yeah. and the, and according to your your chronology of it. Uh, they never got there. They were commanded to eat matzah that night, and so maybe the first thing that they did in the crisis, in the and we, you know in this COVID era, we we say about all the ways in which we've deviated from normal Jewish practice, and and we don't do things the way we would like to do. We say, well, it's shat hadachak. You know, this is an emergency situation, and we do have this concept in halacha that you know, you can respond to certain crises with, with what would ordinarily be unusual behavior. And maybe, maybe what you're saying is that the first thing they do, they get all these mitzvot, and right away, Shad HaDachach prevents them from doing the mitzvahs. Yeah. But then the first thing that they're able to do is, is the mitzvah of
1: matzah, which almost prompts the question, you know, I like to have this conversation with people, what's the first thing you're going to do after this is over? You know what most people are saying? It's not they're going to take a trip they're going to go they, you know and, and it tells us how how significant travel is and of course seeing family and seeing everybody when this is over, what are you going to do what's the first thing that you that you crave and and you know we've been doing mitzvot all along, but what we've been missing is the the extension of our family and that that sense of community that is encapsulated in in our families is what Defines us as a people, and I think, of course,
0: it's you know shared by by all people. Now, now, this really touches, though, also on what you were saying about the the midnight character of the ritual. We yeah, yeah, yeah. The two of us were, were pushing back on you before the, the show started, but uh, the midnight character of the ritual uh, during the the plague of Choshech, the Egyptians could not see each other, yeah. and then and that was the very nature of the plague. And in contrast. Um, you know, what we, you were saying about what we do when this is over. Uh, I had a conversation today with, with somebody from the shul who, well, we can see each other insofar as we've got, um, uh, uh, you know, these video chats, but she was talking about, you know, having not seen her bait grand, you know, grandbaby baby children yeah. um, in their, you know, the, missing a whole year of seeing that kid in, in their toddlerhood. The first thing that that person wants to do, is get on a plane and go to California and see their grandchild and and inhale them. They they're going to squeeze them,
1: you know. That's that's deeply human, of course, and 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 it's universal. I mean, this this is what we all share with with people who are experiencing this. We we got a few seconds left. I, I, we have to explore the thirteenth, the the end of the parsha because. And Jeremy, you touched on it, the, the didactic, the pedagogical function of the ritual. I mean, the,
0: I, I tomorrow, got a, I've got, a, I've got a, a visual aid. You
1: keep talking. I'm going to show you a visual aid. Levincha, levincha, you, shall, you shall tell your children. Or, tomorrow, if, if your child asks you, what what are you doing? And of course, we derive the the four children from the Haggadah, from these passages. But can you just tell me how this functions as a central
0: piece of Judaism? Well, I want want to tell you that these two passages, the two quote-unquote paragraphs of of Exodus 13, along with Shema and and Vahayim Shamoah, are in your... Fill in. (laughs) As my visual aid. So here's a head to fill in. There you go. And... You can see that there's four passages inside the head to fill in. Very nice. And, and here's for the hand to fill in. It, maybe our listeners know this or don't know this. Uh, for the for the head to fill in, there's four passages on four scrolls. In the hand to fill in, it's four passages on a single scroll. And here I have my open pair of to fill in. Beautiful. That's great. There we go. This is and, a first departure um, talk. <laughs> a little, a little, so how do these things? play in the pra- practice of Judaism, first of all, there is the image of our future children who will uh, receive a story from their ancestors. And that is so, could anything be more central about Judaism than that? We, rel- we relate the memories of our people, the sacred memories of our people, one generation to another. And my favorite ritual mitzvah is tefillin, and we actually symbolically inscribe it on our bodies. This is, you know, miyamim yamima, for From time immemorial, we make it on our our hands and our on our heads. Hey, you know what we didn't do? What we? we did get a good question from Carol and We didn't answer it about the symbolism of the, the sort of uh, matzah. Is it, is it, you know, is it the freedom? Is it slavery? Is it rich? Is it poverty? And I think we're just probably going to have to wait until Pesach. No,
1: no. Purity, intentionality, and freshness. In some, that's what matzah is all about. But we'll have to do that. Barry, weigh in on anything.
2: <laughs> well, this has been a great conversation. Passover as education. Symbol. So, I, I guess you know what what occurs to me listening to you talk about the the four sons and the, this question Mazot, is a great question because. We all have had the experience of kids watching us do something and say, why are you doing this? And it doesn't ever seem all that unnatural. So if you'll indulge me, I'll tell one of my favorite stories. Uh, A little girl is watching her mother make a roast and she cuts the corner of the meat off before she puts it in the pan. And she asks her mother, why does she do this? And the mother says, I don't know, but that's what my mother did. So she calls the grandmother and the grandmother says, that's what my mother did. She calls the great grandmother and the great grandmother laughs and said, I don't know why they did it. I did it because the pan was too small. Yeah. And the wisdom in the story is that we do things that we see. A lot of teaching we sometimes forget is modeling behavior. It's not always... and. You know, I, I had the experience, I assume many people did, where parents in a certain sense of frustration would say, do what I say, not what I do, right? They never say, do what I do, not what I say, the, because it's always the behavior that's wanting. And we sometimes forget that education is ongoing because we always have to teach because children are always new and fresh and they see things with eyes that we forget what it was like to see things with those fresh eyes I
1: think that's a it's a remarkable note to to conclude with which is that this whole uh, the ritual and the study is a modeling behavior that dynamic itself transmits to subsequent generations you know and and I have to say, even our little conversation here, we have this from week to week, I'm getting a lot of reactions from big fans. I want a big, a big shout out to all of our fans who listen to us uh, completely. We thank you so much for joining us uh, for this uh, during this time. We really appreciate you spending time with us and, and your comments and uh, remarks to all of us. Uh, we really, really in, enjoy them. We are so glad to be a part of your, your week and your study of Torah and your Shabbat. So on the 21st day of the, of the 20, what is it? The 21st year of the 21st century, right? They were recording in January 21st here, but Mazel tov to the new president, Mazel tov. And to the- leader, tov. Doug M. Tov. The, the Yiddish first gentleman, or second gentleman. Lots of Jewish milestones over the last couple of days. But our milestone, we're here, we're almost a year through the pandemic and Parsha talk, but we're gonna see you next week. For that I want to say
2: Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat <laughs> Shalom.